0: Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring, bringing insight into the history of supply chain management and exposing you to some of the industry's thought leaders and driving forces. In this episode, we sat down with Enrique Alvarez, Managing Director with Vector Global Logistics, to learn more about ocean transportation and his passion for working with socially oriented organizations. It all sounds pretty boring. Let's see if Enrique can prove me wrong. Enrique, we met at a Georgia Logistics Summit a couple years ago, I believe, and I've gotten to know you a little bit more through your general support and hosting of some Supply Chain Now shows. But today I look forward to learning more about you and your perspectives on what I say is this boring field of supply chain management.
1: Chris, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure being here. And uh, just for the record, I don't think that it's actually boring, but I love the title.
0: Well, that's your role is you have to defend your position. So.
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: I know you could talk about a lot of different things, some of the things you're doing currently, but let's, let's kind of go back maybe to your, your early days, maybe college, pre-college, you know, kind of how did you get into this space to begin with?
1: Early days there was a little bit of uh, logistics and supply chain, but as as people might know, it's a fairly new area, if you will. I mean, it's always been around, and it's as old as uh, the oldest profession in the world, probably. But from like a more institutionalized or professional standpoint, it's fairly new, right? I mean, when I was studying back in college, I don't think there were any kind of supply chain careers. Maybe you could take a couple lessons here and there, or a couple of uh, certifications outside of what you studied. But but there wasn't really anything there. So uh, my interest wasn't really there at the time. I've always been very curious to to see how business works and functions and how things work and function, and so, but not at that time, no. It was a lot more recently. I, uh, I had the pleasure of working with the Boston Consulting Group, a st- strategy consulting firm. Uh, I worked for the Atlanta office for a couple of years before deciding to start my own business with a good friend of mine and uh, business partner Brian Oxley and at that point our first idea was to go out and start looking for different projects and see if we could put together enough consulting engagements that we could potentially uh, start our own private equity company uh, in which we at least at the time we thought could provide our services in exchange for some equity in multiple different interesting startup companies so long story short, one of those particular projects was a logistics company. And so after kind of assessing the logistics company and helping them with, with a couple of the issues that they were facing at the time, we decided that it would be a really interesting opportunity to come into the United States and then start a logistics company with a very different and uh, unique culture. And, and that's, that's what kind of started making supply chain and logistics very interesting to me.
0: Let's frame you up a little bit more, so you, you kind of glossed over it a little bit, but you're a mechanical engineer, undergrad, is that correct? That is correct, at, yes. At university in Mexico, or is it? That...
1: Yeah, so that's uh, Instituto Tecnológico de Monterrey in Mexico, which is basically the MIT in Mexico. If you...
0: Well, that says something there, because I'm an industrial engineer, so Enrique, I took one mechanical engineering class, enough to know that uh, thermal, <laughs> thermodynamics, <laughs> enough to know it wasn't for me, so. and then you, you went on, you seem to be a very studious person, you got an, an MBA,
1: got an MBA um, from Wharton University in yeah. 2006. I graduated, and I actually do, now that you mention, I, I love learning new things. So I, I would go back to school in a heartbeat if I had a chance.
0: You've worked at a couple other places, but you worked at Boston, Boston Consulting Group. And I say those things because my gut says, just looking at that roster, you're a bit above average on intelligent. That's, uh, I, w- I, mean, I they- would not claim that, public, <laughs> no. Well, you're an engineer, you went to one of the the prime MBA programs and you work for Boston Consulting Group. They don't just let anybody walk through those doors. So
1: Well, and, and and I'm glad you mentioned it because at the end of the day, I I am blessed, right? I I don't want to pretend and I don't feel like I'm entitled to any of those things. So I have to recognize that it was it was uh, I was really lucky. I, I was born to a really good family and both my dad and mom worked really hard. I mean, we're really middle-class Mexican family and they did everything they could to kind of provide one thing to us and uh, me and my siblings and that thing was education. They remember it to the day. They were putting a lot of money towards our education thinking that that could be something really really good to, to leave to their kids and and so now that you mention it I, I don't consider myself particularly uh, smart. I do think that I'm super lucky and and i also very stubborn and i think those two things together actually can take you uh, a lot of prices
0: so you have good academic background and if i'm not mistaken you you have operations experience and logistics
1: yeah when i graduated from el tecnologico de monterrey i started with the group of vitro and and i was in different roles and positions with them but one of them was uh, i was in charge of their uh warehouses and then i i had an opportunity to go down to colombia also with Grupo Vitro, and I was in charge of their distribution center. So that's kind of a little bit of my logistics background, if you will. I was in charge of the warehousing, distribution centers, and uh, inventory for Grupo Vitro for a while.
0: How long have you been in Atlanta?
1: I've been in Atlanta since 2006, and uh, I consider Atlanta my home and my city, and I, I love Atlanta.
0: Yeah, it's a great city. For, for... I, wish,
1: I wish I had better professional teams, but uh, I love Atlanta United, and I'm sure that they're going to win again sometime soon.
0: You enjoy the soccer, that's right. You started a company, Vector Global Logistics, and that's obviously logistics is in the name, but what caused you to start a company? That takes a lot of courage.
1: Yeah, so I, I think the, what we found out throughout consulting engagement that we had was basically three things, right? One, uh, this was back in 2009, so the market was very bad. A lot of companies, unfortunately, were going under at the time. We also found out that the market's very fragmented. Even even the big guys, even even the Calls, Panel Pinas, CH uh, Robinsons of the world don't really have a lot of the market share. So a lot of so opportunity. Enrique, and, let's
0: just back up yeah. a little bit. What what what's the market we're talking about?
1: Well, just logistics, three PL, supply okay. Okay. supply chain in general, like international logistics
0: industry. Okay.
1: And so we thought that it could be a really good opportunity in particular because after conducting a couple of uh assessments on the industry and the business opportunity and getting ready to ride the business plan, we felt that just the industry was ready for like a cultural change as well. And so we came to the market with this very unique results-based culture and mentality. And that's kind of what drove us to establish Vector. And, and I think that has been the key factor to, to where we are today.
0: It's interesting. I listened to another article where interview you did. You, you said you kind of based your company off of a book, Why Work Sucks. Is that...
1: That's exactly right. Yep.
0: That's an interesting book. Maybe I'll have to check that one out. But I,
1: I will send it <laughs> to you. Yes, it's a good book.
0: Okay, good. What exactly does your company do? I know I, I asked you in the interview, in the pre-show notes, NVOCC. But what what exactly? I know it's non- vessel operating common carrier, and we talk about that in our class, the classes that I teach, as in. You base people view you at your customers view you as a, a uh, carrier that so you own a ship, but you just own, own or don't own the ship. You lease the the spots on the ship, or, and then you resell them. Is that kind of what happens?
1: That's exactly what it is, right? And um, so we are. Uh, an NVOCC, when it comes to like the ocean shipping, but we're also like a third-party logistics company because we have a lot of contracts with different suppliers. And so we can provide other services like air shipping or domestic trucking, international trucking, warehousing, uh, logistic consulting, project cargo. But what NVOCC means, as you mentioned, is we, as a logistics company, have contracts with all the major steamship lines right so we have contracts with maersk and msc and cma and what that gives us is just good competitive rates that we then kind of can mark up and offer to our clients
0: now how does that i guess this is how do you how do you get into that business but do you just have the relationships with the carriers and is that how it works or
1: well i think it, it is a very relationship driven industry but there's a, there's also a process to to get your nvocc license uh it's regulated and sanctioned by the fmc and so you definitely have to meet a lot of different criteria and hurdles to to get it. But once you do get it, I think it's just a matter of starting the relationships with the carriers, which we've been which we've been doing for for years since we started. To the point that every year you kind of commit to a little bit more volume with them, and of course they try to give you a little bit better price. And and the more volume you commit, they probably can offer you slightly better prices as well. So uh, it is a process. Uh, it's. It takes time, it takes trust, and, and, and at the end of the day, for the carriers, it's also, they're placing a bet on the companies like mine, right? Because we effectively, as we sign the contract, after we sign the contract, we basically become one of an extension of their selling arm because we're basically selling some of the space in their vessels. And so it's, it's kind of like a two-way street. They have to rely on us, and, and they have to trust us as a company, and of course we have to do the same and grow the relationship.
0: So you have visibility into their and how much space is available and all those things just from a system standpoint, or
1: the systems are not connected. No, each sim, each carrier and and of course there's intra and there's another providers out there that consolidate data and information and and we do have systems, but our, our company's systems not directly linked to the steamship line system. If that makes sense, we can access their systems and make bookings and. Uh, look at the capacity and pricing and issues and reroute containers and do all these different things through the systems, but it's not really a, a link per se.
0: And we're we're talking about container spots, is that right? On a ship, correct. They're they're very similar to an airline seat, right? So they become more expensive up to the time the flight takes off, but. If it leaves and that site flight's empty, it becomes worthless. Is that correct? Or it's kind of the way it is?
1: It, it is. Yeah, that is the way it is. And I think that's kind of like the theory behind it. And I think that we have a very good example for anyone listening out there. I think that they should probably Google uh, capacity constraint or congestion of the port of Long Beach, California right now, because we're looking at that, right? I mean, the, there's not enough equipment in China. There's a lot of containers out there, and there's either an imbalance in the positioning of those containers a lot of containers are in europe and here and they should be in china so they can load as quickly as they could potentially load if they had containers and then the other thing is there's just less containers in the system as they should be because uh, given the pandemic and everything that's going on this year they just didn't manufacturing uh, manufactured as many new containers as they should have and so tying this up to your question it is a really academic relationship with price right it's supply and demand and it's there's the elasticity curve and course, if there's no containers and limited space, the prices just go to the roof. And, and, and we're seeing that right now. So it's a very interesting and timely question that you're asking and something that, that definitely could could merit like a whole conversation.
0: Yeah, I hear your MBA coming out there. You talk about price, el- <laughs> price elasticity. That's great. A great economics term. You also mentioned you're a 3PL. Are, do you own any assets, warehouses or trucks or, or non-asset based?
1: We're a non-asset-based company. We uh, we do have offices down in Mexico, two in Mexico, two in Chile, and uh, and we're thinking about that in the future, but right now we're non-asset-based.
0: What's your coverage?
1: Yeah, no, we, we have agents around the world, 150 okay. agents around the world, and so we can actually reach to any point in the world. We're very good when it comes to complex regions uh, or problems or projects. I think that's our niche. I think our unique results-based mentality makes us particularly good when it comes to non-standard complex logistics solutions or or problems so we ship a lot to africa central america middle east and and we ship a lot of expedited services down to mexico we work a lot with uh aerospace and automotive industries which are the the industries that really require a very high level of service and that really value getting things done and that's basically who we are we're basically just a niche logistics company with a consulting background that would do whatever it's needed to to get
0: things done. do you give billable hours as well from a consulting standpoint or is that part of your logistics service?
1: no it's usually part of our logistics uh, services uh, unless the client asks us to to assess uh, certain things for example, if a client would come and ask me to ship a couple of containers from certain point in the world to another, I would definitely Help him with the and, and supply chain analysis and making sure that we book in the with the right transit times and the right services and the right routings but uh, and that would of course be part of just the service that we charge but uh, but other clients specifically come to us and ask us for we had a company in Europe that's actually coming to the US and they were asking us to help them with their uh, distribution center analysis and footprint and where where should they be to to better serve this market or that market. So those projects are very separate and, and those would be charged as a consulting engagement. But uh, most of what we do is really just international ocean shipping or air freight or trucking. And that's just charged by a shipment per shipment basis.
0: Now, when would a company need your services? Just, I mean, I assume you could always take on more business. Is that correct?
1: That is so correct. I, and we're welcome. Uh, so anyone that wants to actually come and work with us, we would definitely welcome your business. But, um, uh, I think it's it's when you're not a commodity, right? If if you really if your supply chain requires like a special service or or someone that would really partner with you and see you as a long-term partnership as opposed to just come work with us because we give you the cheapest price, right? That's that's kind of like when we become a lot more valuable. When companies and clients that we currently have or that that we're probably going to have in the future come to us uh, with a long-term kind of open mentality and really let us into their information and their supply chain and their needs and their wants because that's when we actually can can help them the
0: most. Can you share some of your current customers like as as an example?
1: Yeah, well, some of the ones that we work with a lot of different customers in a lot of different industries. Some of the ones that uh, I guess the audience could potentially recognize are uh, Whirlpool, for example, is one of them. We have worked with uh, Porsche, we have NEMAC, we have a couple of automotive companies like Fiat and Chrysler. Uh, we, we move a lot on the non-for-profit sector, and that's kind of where we, where we also love to, to participate. Because for every container that we ship, we're donating to different causes. And for us, purpose uh, is key to our strategy. So we work with Books for Africa and MedShare and MAP and some other organizations Uh, USAID and some others that are that are amazing organizations and we feel incredibly proud to even be a little bit part of their company and costs and organization so
0: yeah which leads me into my my next topic vector vector global logistics is a sponsor of one of my favorite supply chain now programs if anybody's uh, been paying attention logistics with purpose so I'm I'm just I I really enjoy that show for, for different reasons so why do you why do you sponsor this program
1: yeah, so we wanted to sponsor this program to basically uh highlight and and showcase uh the companies that we work with because for us it's 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 incredible. It's it's admirable what they do. It's very inspirational and motivational and so for us internally we wanted to give all these different organizations out there that are sending Uh, books or bicycles or hope or medicines or whatever they're doing, they're really doing it to try to help other people around the world. And so we feel that trying to raise the awareness and also give them a voice will help those organizations. And then also it would help everyone that's probably listening because especially this year, I feel like we all need uh, more positive news and and inspiring stories.
0: Yeah, some of those are very very compelling I, one of the things we teach in our classes is it's not only about the bottom line you know the profitability it's about the we call it the triple bottom line so it's about the people the planet and the profit so profit's still a part of it you have to make money to serve people but you also have to look at the communities and the people that you're serving and you that's seem a, to have
1: I, I like that that's a, that's a definitely definitely good and I, I and i think that it's really i think purpose is is the first thing right i think if you if you have purpose and good people i think profits will come i mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of the way it works so as opposed to just setting your company to make a profit i think you should set your company to do something useful and resolve potential need and then the profits will come and, and i think that's just the way the world's going to work going forward
0: yeah it seems to be the future especially with the with the younger generation so you're are you a fan of simon sinek you know simon
1: yeah, yeah, I know him in the mean, golden circle. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm not saying do you know him, I'm, you know of him. I'm no, maybe,
1: I, I have watched his YouTube Okay, yeah,
0: yes. I was going to say, but, you know, he, he talks a lot about what is your why and those types of things, so it seems like you're kind of a, of that of that mentality, is that correct?
1: That is, uh, you couldn't be, <laughs> yes, you couldn't be more right about that, actually. One of the uh, onboarding materials that we have is a couple of those videos from Simon, <laughs> Simon. So uh, so, yeah, no, you're right, and I think that's part of what, what we what differentiates us to other logistic companies out there that kind of passion for making a positive impact in the world for every container we ship there's there's a, there's a cost beyond making a profit
0: and and speaking of onboarding you know i took a look at linkedin and you and and sometimes you let some of your employees host or ask questions on your show logistics with purpose i think that's nice and but you seem to be open to hiring maybe younger people or females, which is kind of unusual in this supply chain business. So, is there a cause behind that, or
1: is this question
0: yeah, just particular
1: uh, regarding women or just in general? No, just just in general diversity.
0: No, yeah, yeah, diversity probably. I'll, yeah. I'll
1: I'll answer both. Like if you're asking me sure, sure. about women, yes, they're definitely better than men. So yes, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: they're definitely more valuable. More no, I'm I'm. There's good people everywhere, and and no matter. Sex, religion or or anything else, so I really think that um, our unique structure and the way we're measuring performance by results uh, according to our results- based mentality, requires certain personalities, and I think that younger people that don't really have any biases, especially in this industry, kind of get it a little bit quicker, right? For example, we don't we don't work from nine to five with one hour lunch breaks. We just you can work from wherever you want at whatever time you want. As long as the results are there, we don't really ask any questions. To the point that a person that worked with us uh, loved soccer, and the World Cup was down in Brazil, so he went down to Brazil for like three weeks, three months, and the clients wouldn't believe me that he wasn't here. I had to kind of sometimes send them pictures uh, of this person partying in Recife and things like that. So it's we don't care. Uh, we really don't care uh, about uh, where you are or who you are as an individual I mean, as long as the results are there we value everyone equally and uh and we welcome everyone equally so you don't even have to be in atlanta we have people in new york and in mexico and in california and in houston so wherever you are in the world we actually once hired someone in uh nigeria so
0: and i suppose is it good to have international experience or is that does that factor in at all
1: the number one thing that we look into when we're selecting new candidates is uh, its values and culture, personality. Right. So, so does it help? Sure. Do we require it? No. I feel like learning about supply chain and how the business works is something that we can always teach. Uh, but it's really, really hard to teach. Being self-driven or proactive or a good person or having or being honest or or hardworking. I think I think those are the those are the main things, and uh, and so we make all decisions in our company based on our values and culture, and we'll go from there. So no no experience required.
0: Just I know with with shipping, especially international shipping, obviously you have to deal with things like customs, import, export, but, and I don't know if that if that has to be an expertise or not, but that's why I was thinking maybe you have more of an international employee base.
1: You need to know you what you're doing, right? And and we're. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And and we know exactly what we're doing. But uh but but my point was well we already have people that know that. Some of them myself, we, we kind of got there by making all the mistakes in the book and maybe even more. So yeah. um so we, we we're okay making mistakes and learning and growing. So experience is nice to have, but uh but we'd rather just have someone that shares our values and culture than someone that is an expert in anything.
0: I've heard you say once before, unless I'm I'm just Saying you said this, which you'll have to tell me. Logistics is a way to change the world. Is that is that accurate? Did you say that, or
1: I, I did say that, and I think it was like on an interview a couple of years ago, and um, I, maybe not exactly with those words, but, yeah. but definitely that's something that I meant, and that's the reason why we started this company. I feel like, as you know better than anyone, everything has a logistics component to it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're teaching this, and, and we know that the computer, the microphone, the club that I'm holding, anything—it just doesn't come from where I am right now. So so I always thought that if we use logistics as a vehicle for change, it would be incredibly applicable because everything has a logistics component. So.
0: It does. Greg White and I talk about this on occasion. It, it all starts with the consumer. It's a consumer-driven supply chain. Correct. Correct. And you, you had talked about your, your relationships with nonprofits. I think some of them are your customers, but you seem to be, I guess, more involved than just having them as customers. Is that correct? I mean...
1: Yeah, so we have different relationships with different companies, but, uh, but we support them uh, immensely because they inspire us. And honestly, they're the reason why we wake up in the morning and work as hard as we do because we're shipping their, their products and we know their products are actually going to make a difference in the world. To give you an example, uh, Books for Africa or uh, Pedals for Progress or – I mean, every bicycle that they ship – it's going to help someone at the other end of the world become not only a better person but a more successful person. They're going to help someone like a children somewhere to go to school or go and help people bring water. And for us, it's a very easy way to to shift the mindset from moving a container to giving hope. Right? From moving a container to to give it giving happiness. And so it's anyone would work harder if you feel like you're actually giving hope as opposed to that container has to be moved, right?
0: Yeah, most people want to have a, a bigger purpose than Correct. just making a paycheck or, or making a dollar. So it gets back into that social responsibility piece of the of the triple bottom line. You, you do even things like, what did I hear, serve, serve one? You're donating food or donating meals? Tell me a little bit yeah, about that. So,
1: serve, so we for every office that we open, we're partnering with different uh, organizations to help them uh, uh, Proactively for everything we do. So with Surf, we're donating 100 meals to uh, to children in Kenya. So for every container we move in the United States, we're donating 100 meals. In Mexico, we partner with an organization called Canica, and I will ask you if it's okay by you to kind of put all those links in your in in the interview because uh, because they need help, especially now. And so Canica um, helps children and families with cancer. And so for every container we move down in Mexico, we donate to them. In Chile, which is the other country where we have offices, we're donating to uh, Quanil, And Quanil helps children with special needs. So our thinking is whenever we open an office, we talk to the team in that region and we ask them what their cause is. And and that's why we have slightly different causes and we'll continue to kind of support different causes. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just linking what we do on a daily basis to something that's more meaningful than just moving a container or, or a truck.
0: So these organizations, yeah, we'll make sure we promote them uh, as much yeah, as we can. Yeah, please do.
1: I would love to do that, Yep.
0: They can take either cash donations probably, I haven't Correct. gone to the websites, or they Correct. can work with you, and then as a byproduct, they can get donations that way. Either
1: well. way, yes, either okay. way.
0: And even on the, on the pre, we had a, a pre-show discussion, you were talking about your career options early on, and you mentioned one was a, a breast cancer organization or something. So it just, it sounds like that's built into who you are, that, that mentality.
1: I, I think I think it is. I mean, I, I would have to th- thank my parents for that, and in particular my mom. I always saw my mom helping everyone when we were growing up, and and that's just been in me since I've been since I'm young. I've been young, and now of course I'm just carrying it around and trying to pass it on to my children as well.
0: You could be a poster child for the the new model of CEO. You know, I mean, the the whole looking at it from a bigger picture. It's not just all about profit.
1: Well, I actually think that there's it's not. It's nothing about profit. It's really nothing. about doing the right thing, and then profit will come. But uh, okay. but but, thank you. I I don't think I, I deserve that distinction. But uh, but it's been it's been fun. I, I gotta say. I mean, just working, uh, with the team that I'm working. It's it's incredible, and and uh, we have a really good culture that works for everyone and allows everyone to be, happy and healthy and and successful. And so everyone's really pushing each other really hard because we know that we have each other's backs and, and it feels good. It's a, it's a really good job to have. I'm I'm happy.
0: Well, I can hear you smiling.
1: I'll
0: put it that way. That's <laughs> Thank great. Thank you. Yeah, keep it up. Thing anything else you'd like to share about the company or, or kind of what you're working on these days? Um or I guess I got one question for you. What are you what are you paying attention to today for your clients or, or anything that you're watching for them or any supply chain issues you think that might impact them?
1: Yeah, no and there's many. Uh right. I mean it's been a again a very challenging year, I think It's hard to pinpoint one particular one, but I think uh, because there's so many moving parts uh, and and from the trade agreements between countries to the relationship that the U.S. has with China to coronavirus and the impact that it had in the economy and the small businesses on our clients to the tariffs, to the equipment availability, to the weather. And and I think the weather is going to play a a major role uh, as we kind of go farther into the winter, uh, as it always does. But I think there's so many other moving parts that are not working right now that the weather is probably just going to be one extra one that's going to put all the different supply chains into even more stress. So we, we keep track of all those indicators and, and try to keep our, our clients informed. I think it's something that we feel... That we have to do, and we have the fiduciary responsibility to the companies that are working with us, is to keep them informed and make sure they always have options. So when we think that we're probably not going to be able to make bookings, for example, and this has happened recently this this week with a really good client of ours, I just called them on the phone and said, "Listen, I I don't think we're going to be able to make all these bookings for you. Why don't you just contact someone else and start working on your end? We'll keep working on our end, and at the end of the day." We want companies to be successful and we want to develop long-term relationships with people. And the only way that you're going to do that is by being honest and transparent and recognizing that sometimes we're not going to be able to do uh, things. And I think if you recognize that early on, I think people would value it and and trust you even more. And so, yeah, let's just be open and just honest with your clients.
0: It's interesting. As you were explaining that, I heard a quote I don't know if it was from one of your programs, logistics with purpose, or not. But it, the, the gentleman said he likes to. He calls it bluff. B L U F. Bottom line up front. And I don't know if I that like makes sense, but that's basically <laughs> what he said. Is he's like, if you're sending an email, if you're talking to somebody, tell them what you tell them the bottom line at the start. Don't put it in the back or, right. or
1: right. wait
0: until wait until they've they've glossed over. So that's that's and what you're talking about right there is with your customers is is yeah, tell them there's a potential issue so it doesn't become an issue up front. That's great. Right. I see where you're working from there i th- I think that's in your offices in in King Plow in Atlanta, and you're also involved with another is that part of sandia or or tell me a little bit about what sandia is
1: yeah and 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 so sandia it's a good idea that started as a innovation so to supply chain innovation center, so we wanted to uh invest in in entrepreneurs and uh, startup companies that actually have interest in supply chain and uh, and so we started this new company thinking of uh, bringing young talent into the offices and working from here now that plan has changed drastically since uh, coronavirus hit us because because uh, it all kind of relied on people meeting in the same place and sharing an area together so what, what we have done in that regards is we have moved into an investment platform and we're probably going to to help uh, a fund invest in startup companies at least until we can kind of come back to, to the normal way of, uh, of, of meeting and gathering. And that's what that's all about. But, but yeah, it, it, it's been a little bit delayed because of the
0: pandemic. Sounds a bit like another, another community-minded venture, it sounds like.
1: That, that's the idea. And, and we're looking forward to implement it as quickly as this is over.
0: So Enrique, one more thing before, as we're ramping down. Something that I always like to conclude with is getting our guest perspective on the future of careers in supply chain management. Do you have any suggestions or guidance that you might have for, for a student considering a degree in supply chain management? Maybe they're a freshman going to college, trying to think about what they want to do, or an experienced professional that's that's have has many years of work experience, but they want to make a career change into supply chain management. Any suggestions or guidance or
1: yeah, so I'll start by uh, by answering the first part of your question first, and uh, just younger people that are just recently graduating. And, and even before that, I'll just say that logistics and supply chain is, is a very exciting industry to be in, and, and it's growing, and it will continue to grow in the future. I think it will grow to places that probably us, Chris, can't really even imagine, right? When you start thinking about, like, self-driven cars or trucks and Uh, drone deliveries and uh, this is going to get even more complex and and uh, we're kind of like now complaining a little bit about not having enough containers but but the future is going to be even more incredible than that and I think it's going to be super exciting because technology is going to to make things change rapidly and so for for people that are just recently graduating uh, supply chain is one of those industries that will never get old so so whatever you learned at least the basis, because then you'll have to kind of relearn everything almost every year, which is what I've been trying to do. And it's hard to catch up when you when you put the the geographic layer on top of the regulations and all that. I mean, every country has its own rules and regulations, but but it's, it's something that's always being it's always going to be relevant, which I believe might be important for someone that's thinking of studying something uh, longer term and dedicating to something. The other thing, it's going to touch a lot of people, and, and it always has, but I think it's now touching them more on an individual basis, right? It's It's gone from shipping vessels before the containers were invented, which was touching a lot of people, but it wasn't very personal to the containers, which, of course, is a little bit more personal because now you have, like, a container per company and it's a little bit more personal, to the future, which is, like, drone deliveries, which will be super, super personal. So I think if you... If you want to work in an industry that's going to be ever-changing, uh, technology will definitely impact it, it will have a lot of challenges and growth potential, and then at the same time, uh, you'll be interacting and connecting with people at a very personal level all over the world, then just logistics uh, is for you. For people that uh, that already have a career, uh, already decided on a path and want to kind of make a career change, I, I would argue uh, similar things, but then also... Your experience, no matter what you ended up doing before, will always be very welcomed in, in logistics because, again, it touches everything. So if, even if you were, and I'll just throw something out there that might be kind of random, but if you're a chef, I, your experience might be actually worth something in logistics because then you probably can start talking about companies that either, I don't know, ship fish or whatever else. So I, I think it's super broad to the point that no matter what you did before, could be useful going forward, uh, so you wouldn't have to necessarily start from scratch. And again, I think it's a, it's a good industry to be in. Uh, it will continue to grow, and, and I think uh, it's going to be very relevant.
0: I just interviewed another person, and he talked about the relationship side, having, having strong relationship skills in the supply chain, whether it's supplier yeah. relationship management or customer relationship management. Now, you and I, we, we have engineering more the the hard technical skill side, but I think people that have those relationship skills are going to be just as valuable. I agree.
1: If, if not more, right, as you actually start to personalize shipments, I think that uh, definitely th- those those skill sets are going to be incredibly valuable.
0: So Vector was doing well pre-virus. You were holding your own. Are you are you I'll ask you the million dollar question. now. Are you doing any hiring today or.
1: Yeah, we, we are actually We just finished like a round of hiring. I mean, the way we're approaching this virus is very similar to the way we approached business back in 2009 when we just started the market is has been challenged and it, and and the coronavirus has actually highlighted a lot of areas of opportunity let's put it that way so we're using this year to to invest and double down and that's kind of my promise to everyone that works at vector i mean we're never going to make this like life lifestyle business uh, we're always going to be doubling down doubling down and whether that means we're going to make and reach our goals and become one of the strongest logistics companies in the world or whether that means we'll just go under and we'll have to go and figure something else out. That's the commitment. And, and so, no, we, we hired, we will continue to hire and uh, we need now talent more than ever. So if you guys are looking for or anyone out there that's listening to this conversation, and I thank Chris for it, please just contact us. Uh, we'll be more than happy to interview and get to know smart people all over the world.
0: And they can check you out on LinkedIn. You're pretty active. Link,
1: say, LinkedIn, company. LinkedIn's a good one. But uh, if you're particularly applying for positions, I think the easier way to do it, it would be through our webpage uh, or a okay. website. So just go to our website, vectorgl.com to the team tab. And, and that's where you can find our application. And I would just follow that.
0: Yeah, so check that out. That was a bonus I didn't expect today. Thank you. And my last thing, uh, I'll recognize you. You're, you're heading up the... I don't know if it's the Spanish version or the international version of Supply Chain Now. what's the, Do you have any insight there?
1: Well, not a lot of insight other than I speak Spanish. I'm originally from Mexico, and uh, I love working with Supply Chain Now and the team. I feel like the team's amazing. I think that they share a lot of the values and, and business mentality that, uh, that I cherish. And so I'm excited. I mean, it's going to be fun. I've never done it before. I mean, you're an expert when it comes to interviewing people, Chris, and I know you're almost like a pop star by now. But no, I, I'll, I'll try my best. I know it's going to be fun. The idea is that I do start conducting some interviews to interesting and smart people in Spanish in the next couple of months, and we'll see where that takes us. But, but, uh, but I'm just happy and for the opportunity to experience something new.
0: Is there a name for that show yet or that program?
1: Well, after after multiple rounds of really brainstorming and being as creative as everyone is, we actually came up with the name Supply Chain Now en Español, which... That's good. That's a good name, right? Not very it creative, is. I don't think, but, uh, but we'll see. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like everything else that, that I try to start. We have a lot of passion and strategy and support and an amazing team, and things like the name and other things will probably slowly kind of fall into pl- into its place down
0: the road. Well, excellent, Enrique. Anything else that I didn't touch upon that you want to share with the world or we're good?
1: No, I think we're good. I just wanted to thank you and what you do. Uh, your show, Supply Chain, is boring. I think it's definitely feeling a need that's, that's in, in the world right now. And as a business owner uh, of a logistics company, I really think that there's a lot of opportunity for people to kind of be a little bit more engaged, learn a little bit more about supply chain, understand a little bit more the way things are moving because um, I don't think the, the, so it's not, sometimes it's not as exciting as other news out there. So, uh, but they're incredibly important. But to give you an example of what I'm saying it's just the the congestion in long, long beach, right? I mean, it's just, it is very impactful. It is very important. And I don't think that there's a lot of, I guess, news dedicated to that. So I, I think that it's important to, to learn more about supply chain and, and just uh, be more aware. So thank you, Chris, and your team for what you guys do. You're really helping shape this community and, and changing the world as well. So thanks.
0: Well, yeah, as you said, it, it's, we're having fun at it. And, and the other thing is we wouldn't need supply chain now if it wasn't for people like you. That's kind of a, it's a two-way street. Happy to be part of this partnership. Hey, thanks again. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Supply Chain is Boring is part of the Supply Chain Now Network. We highlight historical events, companies, and people in supply chain management and create a picture of where the industry is headed. Interested in learning more about supply chain technology startups, mergers, acquisitions, and how companies evolve? Take a listen to Tequila Sunrise, crafted by Greg White. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up short stories you can use as general conversation starters. The Logistics with a Purpose series puts a spotlight on neat and interesting organizations who are working toward a greater cause. If you're interested in logistics, freight, and transportation, take a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvedrez. And check out the newest program, Tech Talk, hosted by industry veteran and Atlanta's own, Corinne Bursa. Versa will discuss all things digital supply chain. If interested in sponsoring this show or others on Supply Chain Now, send a note to chris at supplychainnow.com. And remember, supply chain is boring.
1: The U.S. is the only country in the world that has a, such a thing, by the way. So it's actually kind of interesting. I didn't know that. there's no NBOCC figures in any, well, I wouldn't say any other country, but at least Mexico, we have an office there and the freight forwarding is just the only figure that exists. So there's no real difference between a freight forwarder and an NBOCC down in Mexico, nor in Chile, nor in most uh, Central America or South America. So it's really hard to kind of explain to people that are not in the United States why do we even have that distinction? Okay.